the opportunity to uh, spend the last week or so in Montana. I spoke at a men's retreat there uh, this week, and I took my oldest son with me. We had a great, great time. Um, after one of the, the sessions there, I was speaking at this men's retreat, so after one of the sessions, the first session actually, uh, this gentleman uh, walked up to me. He had tears running down his face, and uh, you know, my first impulse, I thought, wow, he's, he's, he's like moved to tears. That message was so good that he just is, is weeping, you know, and, and he got a little closer, and I realized, well, that doesn't look to be the case. Maybe it's the other, maybe it's the other extreme. Maybe he's so happy it's done that he's crying tears of joy, you know, maybe that's, that's it too. Um, but he, he, he approached, he came and, and, and talked and introduced himself, and his name is Jim, and he is an elder at uh, the Church of Christ there in Glendive, Montana. And he just said, Mayfair, you guys are the good guys to us. I said, what do you mean? And he told me a story. Once he started, I, I recalled some of our own history here. Uh, in the 70s, Mayfair took a group of, uh, of people from here. Not many, some of you may have been a part of that. I don't know the names of everyone who was part of these campaigns, but we loaded up buses and took off from Huntsville and went all the way into the northwest to Montana to go and encourage some of the, the brothers and sisters there. Not a lot of churches of Christ in that area. And so uh, Mayfair had been doing mission work in other places. Uh, even as early as the 60s, we were supporting uh, a, a man by the name of Dorsey Traw and his family as they were serving the Lord overseas and sharing the gospel. But, but in the 70s, there were a group of people who said, you know, we, we feel like we really ought to be doing something here stateside as well. And so uh, Ernest Petty, I know, was a, a big driver in that. And again, many others, it's the problem with naming names, you leave somebody out. But I know a lot of our, our people who were part of that. And, and so we, we took buses to the Northwest and began working with these, with these brothers there. And this man, with tears in his eyes, he said, you all will never know how much your church has meant to us because somebody knocked on my door in the 1970s and asked me if I wanted to study the Bible, and so we did, and we sat down, and I came to know the Lord because of that, and now here he is years later, an elder in the church there in Glendive. And I, I shared that, mess, that, that story in the early service, and um, Vic and Vern and Lynn, they always sit up there, uh, Mary, I don't know if she was with them or Chris and Mary maybe here I, I see Chris um, I shared that because I felt like they deserved to know that uh, because because this man said you know Ernest Petty had a profound influence on my life in just a short amount of time and I said yeah that's we, we, we know all about you know good people like that but I share it with you today also because I think it's a good reminder for us of what's at stake when we when we come together and we then leave and, and go our separate ways, Sunday in, Sunday out. There are opportunities around us all the time, aren't there? And, and I'm convinced of this, and I just, it's on my heart, so I've said it before, but I, I just want to keep saying it because I believe it to be true. You know, Huntsville is growing, and that is a great thing for our community. It's good for our local economy. There's so many good things that are going on here in this place and time, but but because the number of people living here is growing, that, that means the number of people who don't know the Lord continues to grow. And the, the burden that I think we should have is, okay, what, 
What, what are we going to do about that? And so this kind of thing is just, it's in our DNA. <laughs> Those kinds of stories are, are good for me, and I wanted to share it not only with the Petty family, but with all of us as a church family. And I, and I think that gets us sort of in the, in the zone, in the neighborhood of where we've been these past few weeks as we've been thinking about our, our journey together and what it means for us to follow in the example and follow in the footsteps of, of Jesus. I've been talking now for nearly two months about this sense of, of a journey that we share in together. And this has been a series on discipleship. It's been a series in some respects just on the nature of the church. But today we conclude this series, and I just, I just want to, before we dive into these final two pieces of this, I, I just want to remind us a little bit of where we've been these past few weeks. And, and this, this visual that, that Lee has for us has helped us keep these words and concepts in our minds the past few weeks. But just take a minute with me, if you don't mind, and just kind of replay some of the things that, that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. We began week one of this series talking about quiet time with God, really your relationship with the Lord is where we wanted to begin that series because everything else that comes afterward is, is really secondary to whether or not you know the Lord. And, and the question that we asked them was, are you being intentional about making that quiet time, that regular time to meet with God? We followed that up. Not, not only is this, is this whole idea of following Jesus about that, uh, that vertical component of your relationship with the Lord, but there's a horizontal element here too. And so we talked about what it means for us to be people of unity. We came back behind that a couple of weeks later and talked about connecting relationships. So we talked about the koinonia fellowship that we share with one another. Uh, so many of these kind of tie into that. We talked about having a cooperative spirit, the synergy, according to the word of God, that is present among his people when they gather together to encourage one another, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So we've reflected on, on a lot of these things. We've talked about missional outreach and sacrificial service. And so some of these kind of blend all together. But over the, the last several weeks, we've just been thinking about these elements, of what it means to follow Jesus. And these are, are, are components of, of, of a commitment that our elders have been asking us to make and pray about and consider. And now we get to the final part of this, and, and these last two pieces are our commitment to engaged participation, to participate in the body life and the, the ministry of this church. We believe that's important. And then as, as kind of a blanket way of just putting all of that together, there's also this, a commitment to living a godly life. And those two pieces there, engaged participation and living a godly life, there's a text that came to my mind this week that I think nicely uh, summarizes what we're trying to say with both of those ideas. And it's found in the book of 2 Peter. If you'd like to go ahead and, and get your Bibles ready, we will read together and be reflecting on just two verses that we find in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. So go ahead and be turning there and we'll reflect on these words here together this morning. 2 Peter 1, the, the verses are verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter 1. This is where we'll be for the rest of our time this morning. The Word of God says that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises 
so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So my friends there in Montana, they told me this week that it's been a pretty tough winter. They said that they received so much snow this winter, they actually measured it. They said 170% of what they normally receive. So for context, if they, if they normally receive 100 feet of snow every winter, this, this winter they got 170 feet of snow. And so even now, you know, it, it was really hard getting on that airplane when it was 90 degrees here, you know, and going to you know, 40 and 50 degree weather out there. But you could still see those snow-capped mountains. And the fact that that snow is now starting to melt a little bit, it's running down off the mountains into the rivers, and that coupled with some heavy rains, and the rivers there are just overflowing. They're near flood level. We spent a little bit of time on the Missouri River, and the water was moving so quickly that unless you knew what to look for, you would miss some of the beauty of the landscape, you know, some of the wildlife that was around there. The, the water was just moving too quickly. And sometimes we come to passages of Scripture that I think are, are sort of like that. That the water is moving so quickly, the sentences and the words and the ideas flow so quickly that if we're not careful, it's easy to miss some of what's going on. And I think this particular passage might be one of those, at least it is for me. It's one of those where I really have to slow down and, and do a more careful reading because Simon Peter takes some really powerful concepts, some just deeply important truths and he, and he puts them all in such rapid fire succession it would it would be a shame for us to allow the quick moving rapids of this scripture to just let us drift on down and not really hear what this passage says so what i'd like for us to do is just over the next few minutes to walk through this passage a little more slowly and i want to break it down into kind of three areas and three really i think important concepts that the word of god has for us here in in this passage so let's examine this together this morning. Uh, the first is this, this truth, that God's power has given us everything we need. I had a little bit of uh, user error problem in the first service, and Lauren, I think I may be in the same boat. You may have to help me out. There we go. Uh, the first really important truth that comes across here in this passage is that God's power has given us everything that we need, everything we need for life, and godliness. So, so Simon Peter uses a word for power that is pretty common throughout the New Testament. It's used 120 times in the pages of, of your New Testament. And it is the word from which we get English words like dynamite or dynamic, okay? And so what, what the word says here is that God has this power, this, this dynamite power, if you want to call it that, this dynamic power, this, this awesome power that he is leveraging for us that he is using toward us that his, his power doesn't stand against us when we're in christ but no his power is for us and in particular his power is doing this his power is at work for us and in us to give us everything we need the word says for life and godliness so that means we have this this life that the word of god calls us to that the lord himself says okay this is what i want for you as my followers what does he say in that last command before he leaves he tells us to go and to make disciples but then there's this little piece there it's not just baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit but 
teaching them, remember that part, teaching them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. So Jesus has this pattern of life, this way of being that he wants his followers to adhere to. And what this passage tells us, Simon Peter, who heard those words and has reflected on them for so long, and now through the power of the Spirit is writing to that audience, but also to us to say, hey, and look, God hasn't left us ill-equipped to live that kind of life. No, no, no. He has given us every resource, everything we need for the kind of life he wants us to live, and to summarize it, a, a life of godliness. And that's consistent with what we find elsewhere in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 3, uh, go ahead to the next slide, Lauren. It says, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with how many spiritual blessings? With a few spiritual blessings? Or if you're, if you're really, you know, really super spiritual, he give you a lot of spiritual blessings, or maybe even, maybe even most spiritual blessings? No, that's not what the word says. The word says that he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. A couple of years ago when we went through and studied Ephesians over the course of an entire year, this is one of those takeaways for me that just got written on my heart, that, that God can't bless us any more than he already has in Christ Jesus. Does that mean it's wrong for us to pray for specific blessings today? That's not what I'm, I'm trying to say at all. But what I do want us to learn here is that in Christ we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness and the power of god is at work for us to that degree and the next slide points this this verse out from ephesians 3 20 and 21 so paul continues this thought and he says now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than whatever we could ask or even imagine according to and here's our word again this power this dynamic dynamite strength and might and and power of god that is at work within us. So again, this kind of power is at work throughout the generations, all the generations of God's people to give us all that we need. You can go to the next one there, Lauren. So, so maybe, maybe that is, is the truth from God's word today that you need to hear. Maybe everything else that we say after this will just sort of be lost in the wash because this point right here might be the reason that the Lord has you here today. Maybe that's what you need to hear, that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Sometimes we go through life with this mindset of, of scarcity. We go through and, and we, we, we oftentimes have this little voice that is at work telling us in, in kind of the quiet places of our, our minds and hearts, telling us that, that we're not quite enough. That we're not quite good enough or you're not smart enough you're not thin enough you're not successful enough or you're not attractive enough or your grades aren't high enough or you don't have enough set aside for the future or you don't have enough for today or you'll never be good enough to live down your past and and we all kind of live with that sense of of insecurity in some area and this voice telling us that we're not enough and, and no matter no matter how we might project ourselves we all walk with this and it's been my experience the people who project to be the most secure are oftentimes the ones whose insecurities run most deep and so we all live with this sense of oh my man i'm just not enough 
And if that rings true, if that sounds a little too familiar, then I just hope you would let these words from God today counter that voice that's trying to tear you down. I hope that you'll hear today when God says, I've given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. I hope you'll hear him say that. I hope you'll hear him say like the Apostle Paul did, that my grace is sufficient for you and, and my power in you can do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. That's the idea behind that Chris Tomlin song that he wrote years ago. It's simply entitled Enough. And the opening lyric says, All of you, Lord, is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough. So, God's power has given us all that we need. The second point, Lauren, is this, that we have the promises of a covenant God. Not only do we have everything that we need for life and godliness, but Simon Peter goes on to, to really unpack one of those things that the Lord has given us, and he says this, that we have the promises of, of a covenant God. So he says that that God uses his power to do something in particular, and that is to give us knowledge of him. Basically, God has revealed himself to us. In the entire biblical story, we find the consistent character of God. We find it in creation, in the story of Abraham, the story of Israel, the law of Moses, the prophets. God reveals himself through all of this. And, and most clearly, we see God demonstrated to us. We find his character on display in Jesus. And the one who died and was buried and then rose again. All of this demonstrates to us the character of God. And it points to the fact that God is a covenant God. What does that mean? Well, it just means that he is a promise-making God. But, but a lot of people make promises. But it's not just to say that God makes promises, but it's also to say that as a covenant God, God is a promise-keeping God. And so you see, throughout the biblical story, God makes a covenant. He makes promises with a whole host of people. And without fail, those who he enters into covenant with will, will let him down to one degree or another. Without fail, Israel can't keep up her end of the bargain. But God is consistent in this, that he is a covenant-making God, a promise-making, but more importantly, a promise-keeping God. I've been in full-time church work in one capacity or another for, for over 20 years now. And over that period of time, I've been asked to do a lot of weddings. At last count, it was somewhere between 50 and 60 weddings that I've done. I can't remember uh, exactly how many. But you know what that means is that means I've spent a lot of Friday nights standing around in a church building while everybody else figures out where they're going to stand, right? be honest with you, it's not one of my most favorite parts of the job, okay? Because I stand in the same spot no matter where you guys are, you know? I know my lines, I know where to stand, you know, I'll see you on Saturday. That's kind of where I'm at now uh, in my life. And it's always a zoo on Friday night, too. This is another piece of it. Uh, just kind of pulling the curtain back of those, those wedding rehearsals. Man, there's always somebody who's running late. It's usually a groomsman, okay? There's always somebody running late. 
Uh, the flowers never look just right, so everybody's trying to tweak that. And, and there's always like five, you know, moms or grandmothers or somebody in the bride's ear trying to tell her uh, what, they, what she ought to do to kind of set things up. I mean, it's just, just chaotic, you know. And so I tell couples beforehand, I'm like, look, just, just know Friday night's going to be just bananas, all right. Um, uh, that's two things. Like one, it's just going to be wild, so just roll with it. You know, something won't go right. So I, I said, but, but, you know, I just want you to know, I will be the least of your problems, okay? Because I don't care where you put your flowers, you know? I'm easy to please on that. I said, but number two, I promise you, no matter what goes wrong, we'll get you married, all right? So let's keep things in perspective here. And I said, try to just enjoy this. And I try to drive them to that part in the ceremony where, where they make their covenant promises to one another. And I'm telling you, there's something special Something kind of magical that happens on the stage when, when that happens. It's as if the whole room just kind of gets quiet. Everybody sort of leans in a little bit, you know. And they, you can, maybe sometimes if, if I'm standing close enough, you can hear the bride or the groom's voice through my microphone if they're making those promises. There's just something sacred about it. I've done outdoor weddings where, you know, planes are flying overhead. There's one I was doing in a train that came zipping through right as we got started. And I thought, this is going to be a disaster. There's one time this baby was squalling and screaming through the whole wedding until we got down there to the vows. And it was like, even the baby had sense enough to shut up because there's something really important happening here, you know? There's something sacred about those promises. And Simon Peter taps into that and he says, there's something sacred about the promises of God. As sacred as these promises are, the only thing that really grounds them is that they're made before God. And when God makes promises, wow, think about how powerful a statement that is. And so when he says that we have this, this God who is a promise-making, promise-keeping God, Simon Peter's language just resonates with our hearts when he says that we have his very great and precious promises so today maybe that first point wasn't for you maybe that wasn't what you you know really needed to hear maybe it's this maybe this is the reason that you're here today to hear this word about God and his character and his promises and his faithfulness because again let's face it we all live with the scars of broken trust don't we We've all been, been burned. Someone failed to keep their, their promise to you. And, and maybe that breach of trust occurred in, in the context of, of family or in the context of a friendship or in the context of a marriage or in the context of a business partnership. I don't, I don't know what it might have been, but, but we've, all, we've all kind of been there. You know, the person said they would do something and then they didn't. Or they said they wouldn't do X, but then they ended up doing that we all have these scars we've all lived long enough to have been burned by by someone stabbed in the back lied to trust betrayed you know we have all these different ways of saying that and if that happens long enough that wound is is deep enough what comes next can be really grim if mistrust and, and a hardened heart and, and all of that just begins to like take root in those deep places in our hearts the skepticism that can take root there 
And if that gets deep enough, boy, it, it can be awfully difficult to uproot that. For some of us, that sounds really familiar. And if that's where you are, I just want you to know I'm really sorry. Because I know talking about this, this, this part of this, this word, just brings all that up to the surface. And so I, I'm, I'm sorry that that breach of trust occurred. But I would say all of that to say this, that God can heal your broken heart. And God, God can heal your broken heart, not only in eternity for all time and the ultimate sense of healing when he wipes every tear from our eye and there's no more mourning or grief, you know, all of those promises we take to the bank. But he can heal your broken heart, I believe, even now in the present. And that healing begins when we, listen to this, when we begin to recognize the God we find in the scriptures who is a God of unfailing character, whose promises are true. And when God makes a promise, he, you can count on that. Even if you've been burned a hundred times by the people who are closest to you, God will never, ever let you down. Because according to, to his word, that's something he can't do. God will never lie to you. Because according to the word of God, he can't do it. This gets, you know, the theologians get wrapped around the axle on this because you say, you're saying that God can't do something? Well, no, we're not saying anything. The Bible itself says that God cannot lie. Does that mean he doesn't have all power? Well, I guess it depends on how you define power. If you want to define power as doing anything and everything that you want to do, which is kind of how we define power in our terms, right? Then no, God can't. Because according to his word, he can't lie. Because if he were to lie, it would, it would refute his character. It would go against his goodness, his truth, his love for that matter. So God cannot tell a lie or else he wouldn't be God. Look at the next slide. Go ahead, Lauren. Hebrews 6. It is impossible for God to lie. Titus 1. God who does not lie. Numbers 23. God is not man that he should lie. 1 Samuel 15. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie. Here's the point. God won't lie to you because God can't lie to you. He loves you too much. He is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And he declares this truth to us in this word. The last of these three points I want us to look at is this, that through his promises, we participate in the divine nature. This is another one of those truths that is so easy to miss in the fast-moving rapids of this verse. Simon Peter teaches us that God desires that we participate in his divine nature. He tied this back in with what he said earlier in the verse. God's divine power is at work so that we can participate in the divine nature. To put it kind of succinctly, just to summarize it, God uses his power to make us like him. That's the point, okay? We can think about this from two different angles. Individually, think about how this impacts you at an individual level level as an individual you are created in the image of god that teaching is found on the first page of our bibles because it is foundational to an understanding of the biblical story that means you were created to live out the divine nature to be a little icon of the love of god to be a little representative of the truth of god of the reign of god and so on so so that truth has has tremendous implications for the value of every 
human life. You could call it the universal gospel of our humanity, that every human being is made in the image of God, and that is good news. Now, that, that image is marred sometimes uh, in, in someone to a point where it may not even be recognizable. Sin gets a hold of us and, and corrupts and, and, and thwarts God's good, good purposes, but every human being is intrinsically valuable to God because every human being bears that divine imprint. You were made in the image of God. So no matter who you are, and no matter what you've done, and no matter where you came from, and, and despite all of the little ways that we might go about pigeonholing ourselves and stereotyping and putting ourselves into little bitty groups, you just shove all that aside and you say, here's the universal good news of humanity. We are all made in the image of God. And individually, that, in, that means you and me. There's also this, this corporate element, this corporate dimension to this as well, because Simon Peter is writing to a group of believers. His language is plural. So when he writes, so that you may participate in the divine nature, he's actually talking to the corporate body. As Americans, we're, we're kind of in love with the idea of, of rugged individualism. Um, we tend to read the Bible through those me-centered lenses first and foremost. But it's worth pointing out that almost the entire Bible was written to a group of people, not to an individual, right? You're going to read it individually because you are an individual, but you need to also hear it. You need to also read it through those us-centered lenses. Uh, any, reading it just through the me-centered lenses, you'll miss some of the flavor of what God is trying to say. And for the record, there are very few things in life that are best experienced through a me-centered <laughs> lens, right? So what Simon Peter is actually saying is that so that through them, you all may participate in the divine nature. Depending on what part of the country you're from, maybe it's so that through them, all of y'all might be able to participate in the divine nature. The divine nature is something that you experience communally not something that you can experience in isolation it's not that's not what this verse teaches at all because god himself his divine nature is played out in the context of community father son and spirit three in one so to think that we can partake of the divine nature and and, and somehow keep the community of faith at arm's length kind of a modern way of reading the text again through those me-centered lenses so the takeaway point here is that this is all about the church folks it means that what happens here is important it means that the church isn't just a downloadable kind of experience that when we're not present together that that we miss something that, that can't be replicated or played out on a, on a podcast or a live stream. It means to truly participate in the divine nature is to participate in it together. We were made in community and we were made for community. And that is just a bedrock truth of the biblical story. So we end this series by talking about what it means for us to participate, to be engaged and and. And to participate as part of the body of Christ here. That means participating when we worship together. It means participating in ministry. It means participating in the lives of other people. So many of these have to do with just our one another connection in the body of Christ. 
And our shepherds are asking us to pray about that and to commit to that together as a family. And then again, as kind of just a blanket summary of all of these points that we've been talking about here today and over the last several weeks, we're being asked to commit to living out a godly life. A life that reflects that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Since we've reached this point in our series, I want to give the floor now to one of our shepherds, Dick Savage. And he has some words that he'd like to say as we wind down this part of this series. When God delivered Israel from the slavery of bondage in Egypt, he led them through the waters of the Red Sea. He took them to Sinai, and there he completely revealed his will to them and told them what he wanted and explained how they should live. And he told them he had given them a land, and he was taking them to that land in which they could live and be an example of those people around them to show everyone how the people of God should live. And he said he'd go with them and be with them all the way. Well, we know that the children of Israel didn't always do that. After a few years, the culture had greater influence on them than they had on their culture. And time and time again, their leaders had to challenge them and to remind them of what God had wanted them to be. And they said, we will do that. <coughs> we will. And then eventually over in Isaiah chapter 43, God through Isaiah says, you will be my witnesses that I am God. And that's what he had in mind for his people then, and I believe that's what he has in mind for his people today. Because Jesus used very similar words when he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth that I am God. You'll be my witnesses. And I think that challenge is true for us today. And I'm not sure we've always done that. You see, God provided them with all they would need to go and meet their challenge. And as Jason said, we've been given all that we need to show the world how people of God should live. And I think Jason has done an excellent job in this series letting us know about some steps that we need to take in our life. And I recall in one of his earlier lessons, he mentioned a young man that he had studied with. A young man had questions about baptism. After a while, he says, all right, I understand this baptism. I'm ready. What I want to know is what comes after baptism. Well, I think what we've had the last few weeks describes what comes after baptism. So what are we going to do with our lives? Because I believe God had something planned for each one of us. When we were converted, when we accepted Jesus and were baptized, <coughs> he could have immediately transported us to heaven, but he didn't. He left us here because he has something that he wants us to do individually and collectively. I must tell you that as I've listened to Jason speak, I have been personally convicted because ashamedly I can tell you I've not been all that I should be in all these areas I can do better and I want to pledge to you today that I'm going to do better 
at trying to live along these steps and making my life an example for those in my community so I can truly be an influence in my world. And can I get you to please stand with me at this time? You see on the screen these eight statements, which are from the lessons that Jason's been giving. And I'm going to ask you to read those with me. And as we do that, I want you to hear me say that I am committing to you that I want to be a better person and that I want to be more focused on taking these steps and being an influence in my community. And as you say them, I want you to be committing to each other, that you're going to be a part of this family and be part of the life here of reaching out in the community. And hopefully when you hear each other say that, it will be a source of encouragement. So would you read these words with me? I will spend time regularly in communication with God. I will seek to maintain unity. I will make every effort to share the good news. I will support the church leadership and their stated vision for the church. I will seek to develop relationships with others in this congregation. I will look for opportunities to serve and give. I will do my best to be present as a participant when the church gathers together. And I will demonstrate spirit-empowered, Christ-like living to my community. If you've not yet put the Lord on in baptism, maybe you'd like to do that today. And join this community of believers as we try to be Jesus to the world and take him into our community. And join us on this journey. We'd love to study with you and to help you complete that part of your obedience. If you've been a Christian for some number of years, it may be that you, like me, have been not what you should be in all areas of your life, and you'd like to, to pray to God this morning that he would help you in those weak areas to be stronger. Or maybe you need to make your way to the front and ask us to pray with you over some particular event in your life. But if there's any way we can help you today, please do so as we now stand and sing.